0: to july in this alphabet
1: series Uh, it feels wild to me that we're recording this on the 30th yeah so literally tomorrow is july which i can't believe nope you're flying i also think it was because um obviously you and i live in warm weather houses so winter is atrocious for us correct so i was looking forward to june With a hunger that I have never met in my life Mm -hmm. before. (laughs) Mm. And then I felt like once I had June... I just—I don't know. It just slipped through my fingers. I don't know what happened. Like it's just already—it's <laughs> gone. gone. <laughs> it's already gone. I'm, um, al- I'm also already getting very anxious about the next winter, which, to be clear, is months away. Yeah, it's months away. But I'm already getting nervous about it. Some
0: fun and interesting news for like halfway through the year. So, longtime listener Elsie Marshall is now a patron. <gasps> Welcome. Turns out her name's Lillian. Lillian. I've been calling her Lauren Conrad in my head. <laughs> I think it's Lillian. What a great name. I read it last week. I read it. I can't remember now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's Lillian. Lillian, I'm sorry. (laughs) Lil's my bad. Um, And then also, I... I've accomplished my New Year's resolution. What? I have read 50 books. Already? This year. Oh, my God. That's for a week to make it by halfway through the year. That is crazy. Um, I've been really powering through. And now I'm trying to decide, do I go for 100 at this crazy <laughs> pace? Or do
1: I just, like, call it quits? Or, like, just go for 75 and, like, chill a bit? I think you play a game with yourself. Don't mm. put a limit on it. No limit. See how many you get by the end of the year. Just try and not even look at it. Okay. That's and impossible. then surprise okay. yourself. I don't know how the app works, so yeah, I it won't tell
0: me. I have to click on. <laughs> you reading have to click challenge. on it.
1: Okay. So
0: okay, I won't. I won't look. That's a, That'll be fun. That'll be then really I fun. It's like where i It's like a gender reveal, but <laughs> for how many books you read. But, but like a much better idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, but we're not here to talk about how many books I've read.
1: No, we're here to talk about history on the back with Katie and Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women
0: and non fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance, but
1: keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time, and we're not historians absolutely. Not. although
0: <laughs> we just got off a zoom call with a historian who's now inviting us to her book party, yeah, but
1: fine that's fine fine. everybody it's fine we'll be fine we'll be professional I hope my god wear this
0: outfit yeah (laughs) for sure um but we are just drinking Mm -hmm. and doing the best we can to bring you information
1: about women that need to be talked about and maybe it's not right. I mean, I <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of painting myself into a corner here, because yeah, yeah, yeah. last week I did a more scientific episode about DDT. I probably got a lot of facts about that wrong. Sounded right to uh, me. And this week I'm getting into the world of psychology, which mm. I'm also sure I will put mm-hmm. my foot in my mm-hmm. mouth many times. That's okay. Um, but that's okay, because we have wonderful listeners who tell us when we get things wrong, which we love. They're very accepting and kind. Yes. And, uh, you know, we try our best. We really do. But... To err as human, uh-huh. and to correct someone on Twitter is divine. It is. <laughs> so I've
0: heard. Um, so but I've maybe heard.
1: you're tweeting on Twitter about a, another podcast correction. Maybe they said that. You know, Abraham Lincoln did not grow up in a log cabin. I don't know what lies they're spewing, but, <laughs> but you're doing that. So you can't possibly get off that page and go look at what these women look like. No. no, and we want you to have a picture in your head while we're telling their story. So we're going to get a little physical, physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like?
0: I am doing the famous Temple Grandin, who is most easily described as a cowgirl, but not like a Halloween costume cowgirl, like okay. a button-up long sleeve, western pattern with a uh-huh. bowler tie. I've only ever seen her in that paired with long pants and boots she has a very short wavy curly haircut a long oval face and a gap tooth smile and is just such an inspiration even though that's not her physical appearance i wanted to throw that in early yeah
1: i've never heard of this person before so i'm really excited in like the
0: (laughs) educational world she's like a pretty big deal really specifically like amongst special education so she's amazing Awesome. You'll you'll like her story, I think. Perfect, and then you can watch the movie tonight oh. with fiance slash
1: husband. Oh, excellent. Um, all right, so I am doing Sybil. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Sybil Dorset, mm. um, aka Shirley Mason. <laughs> um, so the real Sybil Shirley has an oval face, very soft features, pale skin, and large teeth. Um, she has that kind of smile where like, her teeth are... like or er, kind of resting face where her teeth are always showing. Right. Um, she often has kind of a doe-like expression on her face. Uh, and she often wears glasses. She looks like a typical 1940s teen. But there was a lot going on under the surface. Uh, and in the movie, she was, of course, played by the wonderful Sally Fields. Um, so that should have been the only thing we knew about Sybil's appearance. But, of course... <laughs> <laughs> the cat got out of the bag. Well, my, in my movie,
0: she's played by Claire Dane.
1: Really? There's another Sybil <laughs> Should have known no, that movie. No, no, in the no, research. no. The Temple Grandin. Movie. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. I was like, damn. No. Claire Dane's played her, and I didn't realize it. Katie, we could have a
0: double feature <laughs> on this episode. We could have, like, a Benji's Drive-In movie night. Oh, double feature be for these two women. Yeah.
1: Because apparently, like, this Sybil movie was, like, crazy famous. Uh-huh. Even though it was made for TV, like, everybody saw it. Oh, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Okay. okay, so
0: can you tell me what I'm drinking? It looks like it has multiple personalities. Yes, it does <laughs> so
1: this is called the brilliant hysteric so this is rhubarb simple syrup, vanilla extract, spiced rum, pineapple juice, and I top the i I garnish the edge with turmeric. It is just a lot of different things that I hope pair well together. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> oh, it mm. tastes really good. It actually does. Mm. I'm gonna stir it up a little bit, but yeah. Wow. I, actually really I like it <laughs> a lot. And I love the turmeric rim. It gives it like an, an earthiness. Yeah. I really like it. Mm. That's great. So Allie, what do you know about Sybil? Okay. So I know, I mean, I know the
0: famous thing about her is that she had multiple personalities. I want to say up in like the teens or Mm twenties there, she had a lot of personalities and the only other thing I I think I know is she was a teacher Mm -hmm. and I don't know anything else about her. I don't even know the story that well. I haven't seen the
1: movie. Okay wonderful so we are obviously going to be talking about multiple personality disorder throughout the episode which is now referred to as disassociative identity disorder um and the whole episode is basically the story of that transition Got it. um because it kind of in a way starts with sybil <laughs> okay The year is 1955, and a young woman is sitting in the psychiatry office of Dr. Connie Wilbur. She had been having some troubles for quite some time now. She was even asked to leave art school because of some of the nervous and irrational behavior that she was experiencing. She had also been having blackout episodes where she would wake up in completely different places, having lost days at a time. In one instance, she thought she was at Columbia University in New York, only to discover that she was actually in Philadelphia and five days had passed without her realizing. Hmm. The young woman is obviously distressed and throughout, throughout, their sessions, Dr. Wilbur notices that she sometimes changes the way that she carries herself and the way that she speaks. And it seems like she's answering the doctor's questions as different people. It started off with a childlike angry personality Um, who would then morph into a more sophisticated woman who she called Victoria.
0: So like her mannerisms are changing. Yes. And her voice? Yes. Okay.
1: Over time, Dr. Wilbur counts 16 different personalities, different people living in this woman's mind. And according to her, none of them knew about each other. She is diagnosed with multiple personality disorder and Dr. Wilbur decides... To call her Sybil Dorset when she discusses the case to protect the patient's identity. In order to help Sybil deal with her personalities, Dr. Wilbur says that they must get to the root of the problem, which she believes lies in some sort of childhood trauma. Mm. So she starts incorporating hypnosis into their sessions, which are now occurring multiple times a week. Sybil starts to slowly but surely recover memories of awful things that happened to her. These memories range from her grandmother dying and her best friend moving away something a lot of kids experience to her sleeping in her parents bed until she was nine years old even on occasions where they would be having sex then even more memories start coming up she remembers a traumatic childhood living with a mother who was diagnosed with, with schizophrenia she remembers countless episodes of sexual abuse with her mother using various kitchen items to assault her She said that her mom would take her out to the woods where she would participate in lesbian orgies with teenage girls. She remembers her mother making her watch as she defecated on a neighbor's lawn. And then there were many instances of Sybil's mother giving her enemas with ice cold water over and over again.
0: So are these different personalities remembering these different things or is this Mm -hmm. okay?
1: And as she works through her trauma, she comes to term with what has been causing her such pain. And as she works through and she remembers and she deals with all these awful things, slowly but surely the personalities are integrated with one another. They make peace and Sybil, after many, many years of therapy, becomes a whole person and starts to lead a normal life. Hmm. This is the story that in 1973 would sweep not only the psychological community, but the nation. There had already been a few documented cases of MPD, or multiple personality disorder, but never one with so many distinct personalities. This is a breakthrough case, and after it, this documentation is released, after this book is released, MPD was officially added to the DSM, or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. I mean, this is a publication by the American Psychiatric Association for the classification of mental disorders. And right now it's only in its fifth edition. So to have a case that adds to this manual is a really big deal. Seriously. But unfortunately, it just wasn't true. The story of Sybil is actually the story of a woman named Shirley Mason, who some say was taken advantage of by a fame hungry psychologist, and others say was complicit in one of the biggest. Controversies of Modern Psychology. Really? This is made up? We'll get into it. Oh! (laughs) Um, And before we go too far, I want to acknowledge my sources. Um, (laughs) I forgot to do that at the top. Um, So there's a podcast, Psychiatry After Dark, Strange Country Podcast. Um, I... Also, like, kind of based how I formed the podcast, like, the episode after um, how they did it. And then there was a retro report by the New York Times. Um, So, those are my main sources. And, of course, like, Wikipedia and all that. Mm. So, Shirley Mason was born on January 25th, 1923 in Dodge Center, Minnesota. She was the only surviving child of Walter Wingfield Mason. He was a carpenter and an architect. And Martha Alice, a.k.a. Maddie. They were both devoted Seventh-day Adventists. The couple had wanted many children, but Maddie suffered from multiple miscarriages over the the years, so they only had Shirley. Shirley was described as a very imaginative child who lived a very insular life. She had a fairly elaborate world of imaginary friends and from an early age liked to make up stories. And this may have been a way to cope early on with her mother because although she was not an orgy loving child abuser, some people say that what she suffered from was severe depression. People described her sitting motionless for uh, hours on end and just not really taking care of Shirley, which Mm. made Shirley feel very alone. And... Another shitty part of this whole situation was that Shirley's imaginary world, her only escape, was seen as very sinful according to her family's religion. So on top of all of this, she was feeling really guilty all the time because she was writing stories and doing all these things and kind of escaping into her head. And then the people in her church were like, that's not okay. Like tell her she needs to stop writing little fiction stories. We also know that this particular religion also made her feel isolated in her community because there weren't that many Seventh-day Adventists in her small town. And kids often thought that she was weird because they ate vegetarian and they went to church on Saturdays. And they also constantly thought the world was going to end. Yeah. I mean, same. <laughs> there were no clear signs of the abuse like Shirley claimed to have experienced in the civil book. The only things that we can kind of piece together are maybe that the enemas were real. I don't know if they were done with ice water, but apparently constant em- enema- enemas were a thing in this religion. Okay. Um, I think it was an emphasis on like clean living, clean eating, because they were also vegetarian. Right. Um, and again, um, not all seventh day Adventists like <laughs> it's a pretty big religion now, but when yeah. it was kind of, kind of first coming around. But then also like her mom was kind of neglectful, right? Is that what you were saying? Yes. Okay. So yeah. that can also be, because it. she was dealing with her own, you know, and she had gone through so many miscarriages. I think her mom was severely depressed and like okay. not being treated for it. Of course. Um, so you can kind of see the, where some of this stuff is coming from. Um, And her parents did once lure her under false pretenses to the doctor's office. It was, like, a really weird thing. She thought that she was going for a play date, and then she got into the office and got ambushed by nurses with anesthesia so she could get her tonsils taken out. Very wild stuff. So again, you can kind of see it. There's like some weird stuff going on, but again, not to the extent and <laughs> that surely wouldn't. Anesthesia. Play. That
0: reminds me of like in movies where someone walks up behind you with like a, oh, you know, like yes. a napkin.
1: <laughs> and I actually think that that's what it was. They they literally did do that. They that's had like insane. the cloth with the fucking ether on it. I hate that. Now you might be asking, okay, but how do we know if this version of the story is true? Right. Well, we obviously can't for sure. But there was evidence of a diary that Shirley had when she was a kid, which also shouldn't be confused with the diary she wrote when she was an adult (laughs) that she pretended was hers as a child, because there are two diaries, but there was a real one that she had when she was a kid. Um, And of course, there were doctor's records. It's how we know about the tonsil thing, and it's how we know that her mother was never diagnosed as a schizophrenic. Okay. By the time she was 12 years old, she was really starting to feel very weird, very different. She lost a lot of weight and was just often described as having anorexia. And then she started to develop some atypical physical behavior. Um, she would hunch over to the extreme when she walked. She was constantly like, squinting her eyes and just like doing things like that. Um, and she would also become obsessed with her hands. She would look at them all the time and study them. And if she touched a certain type of newspaper, which, which is like the only trigger, it seemed, she would wash her hands with like really harsh soap over and over and over again. So things that we've seen that people with other mental illnesses do. Like obsessive compulsive almost. Yeah. But it wasn't just, but it was they say it was triggered by these particular newspapers. Okay. So, so she had like certain fixations. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, she, so Shirley graduated from Dodge Center High School in 1941 and became an art student at Mankato State College. But while she's there, she would often have these blackout episodes. So she really did have these. Somet- I had those
0: at college too.
1: <laughs> Sometimes in the middle of class, she would just blackout and they would not be able to communicate with her. So they would try and revive her. They'd bring the school nurse in and they'd pump her up with barbiturates. But the problem was like they would accidentally overdose her sometimes. And so this situation was obviously not good. So they're like, I'm sorry, you have to go home. Like you have to take a leave of absence from school. So she goes home. She is put on bed rest at her parents' house. And I'm not sure if it's connected. Maybe yes. But as soon as she comes home, uh, her mother Maddie starts to have some severe stomach pains and she's not feeling well. So she goes to the doctor to figure out what's going on, but she doesn't want to leave Shirley alone. So she's in the room while the doctor's examining Maddie and he is unable to stop noticing Shirley because he's like, I don't think she's okay. Like a lot of the physical stuff and she is just, he can just tell from the way she's moving and the way she's talking that something is very wrong. Like she's not doing, she's not right. acting of a typical like 20 yes. something year old. So he recommends that Shirley go see a psychotherapist Ooh. and he sends her to a woman who is still technically in training named Cornelia Wilbur. This is Connie, Connie Wilbur, we're going to get into her story for a minute. <laughs> she was born in 1908 and she had always dreamed of being a doctor, but her father repeatedly told her that she was too stupid to be a doctor because she was a girl. So then she tries to be a doctor even harder. <laughs> She's like, not only am I going to be a doctor, but I'm going to make a big scientific discovery. That's going to like shock the world. Like this is her goal from an early Age. Wow. So she goes to school for chemistry, but then her parents refuse to pay for medical school. So she goes, fine. I'm going to marry someone who will send me to medical school. So she marries a wealthy dentist Yo, marry can up. pay. And she fully admits that this is why she married him. She only married him to get to medical school. I mean, but who didn't? Who didn't marry <laughs> him to get to medical school? I mean, that's the only reason Rachel Green was going to go through with it.
0: Listen, we've, all, we've all done that a time we <laughs> We've or two. all done it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think our dentists were friends. <laughs>
0: I married somebody
1: that paid for me to get my doctorate. <laughs> it's fine everybody it's
0: fine but otherwise i would have been stripping my way through it for sure
1: yeah i had a bunch of friends who did that you make really good fucking money really
0: really good money you pay your way through college easy yeah i had a friend who did that people pretend it's a joke that's not a a joke no it is not really serious career yes
1: (laughs) and ends to a mean means to an end means to an end ends to a mean i think (laughs) um but Connie only gets halfway through medical school when she comes down with Graves disease, which is a thyroid disorder that can affect your mental health. This whole process really? in your throat. Yeah. Like, you know, the thyroid is the butterfly shaped, uh, gland. Yeah. At, so at your throat. how does that, a uh... because it processes, um, it, the, it processes things. <laughs> It's
0: like when they tell you gum disease leads to heart failure. I'm like, but yes.
1: how? I don't know about that, but I do know that um, I was convinced for a while that my th- thyroid was like not right.
0: That sounds right for you. Because, yeah, for me. Absolutely. <laughs> I
1: went, I literally went to my doctor and I was like, I think I have Graves disease. And she was like, calm down. I was like, I'm tired all the time. It doesn't make sense. My thyroid's not right. Right.
0: And like, and she famously, was like, when I was like, Jake, okay. I'm itchy. I think I have scabies. Yeah. So like, Allie, you, Full don't, blown scabies. you don't have scabies. <laughs> you, psycho
1: so she actually had graves disease um and it gets her interested in the whole field of psychology and she's like bail i'm gonna bail a medical school divorce this dentist and i'm going to train in a mental hospital because now this is my passion Wait, she left him he could have paid for that maybe he did i don't know when she left him actually oh, okay. i just she left him eventually. i added the dramatic flair. Oh, okay. she does leave him eventually that's
0: good, that's good. i liked that <laughs> so you, you add the timeline however you want <laughs>
1: Someone's going to be like, I read the book. This is all completely wrong because yes, I got all this research from someone else who read the book. Yeah, yeah, so news. exactly. Great. Here in this mental hospital, she is exposed to hypnosis and multiple personality disorders and all these other things and narcotherapy. And she's like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. I love this. This is so fucking cool. Listen, I know two people
0: named <laughs> Connie and they're very
1: different. <laughs> so eventually in the 40s she accepts a temporary position at a hospital in nebraska where she encounters a young shirley mason for the first time okay so they saw each other about five times in 1945 and they were immediately drawn to each other and they had this very intense connection from their very first session that's something I miss about being a child, like being yeah. able to make fast friends. <laughs> child, she's like almost. I know, I know. Like, they are they're old, but like okay. that's something yes.
0: I can't do in at
1: this age. Is like mm-hmm. just meet somebody and be like click. No. It ha- it actually it did happen to me in as an adult, and it felt amazing. Isn't it crazy? Yeah, it's yeah. like that song from a High School Musical, that <gasps> like kindergarten friends. Yeah, I'm I forget envyous. what the actual song was. But yeah, was no, but I'm end of lines. that like making <laughs> fast friends. Yeah, that's a really cool it's thing. It's nice so they have this crazy connection and shirley is like i love you so much i'm gonna be a therapist just like you and connie says you're the daughter i've never had Damn. just lots of inappropriate client to counselor relationship not situations okay.
0: not okay
1: but not long after they started Dr. Wilbur is transferred because the doctor she was filling in for came back. Uh Uh-oh. Shirley does not take this news well. She harms herself. She has a full-blown panic attack in the office, but there's just like nothing that can be done. So the two go off on their separate ways until about nine years later in 1954 when they are reunited in New York City, baby. New York City. Mm. Do you remember
0: <laughs> this remember the salsa commercials? Was in barbecue sauce? No, I don't know what you're talking about. There are these barbecue sauce commercials from like the 1990s, where
1: of course the it was the late 1900s. It wasn't the ni- 1890s, of course. <laughs>
0: that from the 90s, where like. These cowboys are sitting around the fire saying, oh, we love this barbecue sauce. Blah, blah, blah. You oh, get I it? do know what you're talking like, about. New York City. He's like, New York City.
1: And that was exactly the conversation that Connie and Shirley are having. <laughs>
0: but I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> so,
1: Dr. Wilbur has been working in New York in her own private practice on Park Avenue which she was Stop. able to start after she divorced her dentist. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing that's when this happened. Um, and she married another wealthy man who she met because she was his therapist. She she is, <laughs> she's so inappropriate. I'm sure ev- anyone who actually works in the field is like, no she, guys, don't worry. Rules. It's going to get worse. Oh, um, damn. um, <laughs> So she's doing that, and Shirley had been attending graduate school to be an art teacher. Of course. But is still having some emotional problems. So it's suggested by the school that she go back to therapy. And what better therapist is there in the world than her old friend Connie Wilbur, who just so happens to be in town. (laughs) And is her (laughs) pseudo-mother. So they start seeing each other again, and this is when Dr. Wilbur makes... (laughs) not her first, I don't know why I wrote that, one of her many controversial moves, she gives Shirley a book all about this new kind of thing that's going on. It's not actually that new. It's been like many years, but (laughs) it's called Multiple Personality Disorder. And it only took a month (laughs) before Shirley started to act like a little girl in Connie's office. And she finally said the words that Dr. Wilbur had been waiting her entire career for. Con! Hi, I'm Peggy. And Peggy. And Peggy. (laughs) Sybil, Shirley, (laughs) and Peggy. And Peggy. (laughs) Dr. Wilbur soon put Shirley on a string of various medications, which include many highly addictive barbiturates which these drugs that she was on were eventually taken off the market because they were so insanely addictive wait what's a barbiturate why don't
0: I know that word
1: a barbiturate is like kind of like a I think it's a downer like a heroin oh, okay. or something like that like I think heroin is a barbiturate and like alcohol is a barbiturate, like cocaine is an amphetamine. I think, which yeah. like gets you up. So
0: like coffee's an upper. Yes, alcohol's a downer. Yeah. Got so it. this
1: is like the downer drugs, the ones I that like I, make you more relaxed. I you wish know, i wasn't such an idiot. Yeah. No, I'm an idiot too. I may be. I may be a hundred percent wrong. And yeah. I did the research for this episode.
0: Famously Katie Katie, I never up. even thought to, <laughs> to look up to what a barbiturate was. Find that word. Nope. I was
1: like, everybody's gonna know. That's me every week. <laughs> um, and the personalities are really starting to form. She'll walk into an appointment and say, I'm sorry, Shirley couldn't make it this week. I'm Clara. I'll be filling in for her today. And in the next session, (laughs) Shirley would be back and apologize for missing her session. Dr. Wilbur is getting exactly what she wants. A breakthrough case that will make her famous. And Shirley is getting what she always needed, which is someone to just fucking pay attention to her.
0: Interesting. So do we think I know you're getting here yeah do we think that they're in it together or
1: is Shirley so needy for a mother figure that she's trying to please Connie I think she's trying to please Connie okay I there is a lot their relationship becomes so sick and codependent that like I think in my and I say this at the end too but like I think that Connie was taking advantage of this young girl because she was so suggestive and already had such a wild imagination that it wasn't hard for her to put these ideas into her head. Mm. So then things really ramp up and Dr. Wilbur starts to use more extreme methods to lure more personalities out of Shirley. First, she's doing classic hypnosis (laughs) and she's like, you know what? The classic hypnosis is only getting so far. I think we need to kick it up another notch. So she starts injecting Shirley with sodium pentothal, which some doctors refer uh, refer to as truth serum. Sometimes she would literally put the syringe in, this is going to be trigger warning. Like, I probably should have said that before this whole episode, but she would like put the syringe in her arm and talk to her. And if she felt like it was like waning a bit, she just, boop press it in a little bit further. She wouldn't even bother to like reinsert it. She would just like leave it in her arm. So like
0: this is like a drug that makes you more loose lipped. Yes. So
1: it is another barbiturate, but a really strong one that would leave the patient in kind of a dazed state. And it's said that this made them spill their deepest, darkest secrets. Ones that may not even be known to them because they are so repressed. So these drugs combined with the other drugs that she's on and these hypnosis techniques and the occasional electric shock therapy, which she was also doing to Shirley. Nope. Caused Shirley. I just signed off. Mm-hmm, caused Shirley to rediscover all of these past traumas that were hiding in her brain. But again, when you listen back to the recordings of these sessions, it's so clear that Dr. Wilbur is coaching her through this whole thing. And She's asking her very leading questions, and she always starts things off by sweetie because even in her day state, she wants her to feel like she can trust her. Mm. So she's constantly calling her sweetie, asking her leading questions, and then she starts making suggestions as to what happened. Like if she were being Vicky and she said, my back hurts, Dr. Wilbur would suggest, maybe your mother hit you on the back. Maybe your mother pushed you down the stairs. And if you remember that, if you remember it and go back there and deal with your trauma, the pain will go away. And Shirley's like, yeah, that sounds right. But anybody listening to these interviews would be like, that's not sound. That's why they were confidential for a long time. Oh, shit. So we didn't know. It's like the Watergate (laughs) tape. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But the more drugs she uses on Shirley, the more Shirley needs. And when she starts to get blood clots in her arms because shit. she's on so much shit. Don't tell me she's
0: putting it in her toes. No.
1: Dr. Wilbur cuts back on the doses, which then, then she's in withdrawal. She, and then it sends Shirley into a fucking tailspin oh, in order that. to get medication. So she tries kind of uh, cutting back on the personalities, but then she's like, that's not what Dr. Wilbur wants. So she starts getting deeper and deeper into these personalities, into these memories, because she wants to keep being rewarded. Well, are other doctors seeing this? We'll get to that. Okay. So she's just like a great actress, maybe. I think that it's just a combination of like, Shirley did have a really good av- imagination. And I think she she was just saying everything that she knew that Dr. Wilbur wanted to hear. Because she was rewarding Shirley for all this behavior and she would reward her even more when she would create another personality. This is grade A attention seeking behavior. Yeah. And the two developed this obviously it had already been, but a severely unethical and inappropriate relationship. And when I say that, I mean things like Dr. Wilbur would pay for Shirley's living expenses and her college tuition. She would pay Shirley to walk her dogs, look after her mother-in-law Uh, which was easier to do since Shirley had keys to her apartment.
0: Nope, 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 nope.
1: But don't worry, it went both ways. Dr. Wilbur also had keys to Shirley's apartment and would come over anytime she wanted, sometimes in the middle of the night. They would go on vacation together. She bought Shirley's clothes. She would discuss other clients with Shirley and let her look at their records. She demanded that Shirley also be given a job at the health clinic that dr wilbur was working at
0: i feel like this is like an
1: unhealthy life partner. yeah this is (laughs) if they were just like dating it would be like this is inappropriate
0: or even like i don't know like it sounds to me a little bit like helen keller and ann sullivan where Mm. it's like your lives are so intertwined but it's still professional yeah like ann sullivan still had a husband who was like i need you to take time away from helen yeah whereas like this is like inappropriate because they're having this doctor-patient relationship
1: mm-hmm. even though they're like fully woven into each other's lives yeah like when some of their conversations and their tapes were leaked and presented to other people or some people remarked that they're like they sound like they're like in a physical romantic relationship i'm like shocked this is they not weren't normal. destroyed yeah
0: usually you're supposed well, to a right? lot
1: of her Things were destroyed, but we'll talk about like, so, like some of the stuff was not though. So this may have gone even further. I just I thought that destroyed. like
0: after you recorded
1: something and evaluated it, there was like a certain number of months that you were supposed to destroy it. I don't know about that, but I know she kept a lot because they still have it. I mean, I listened to some of the tapes. It's fucking Damn. disgusting. And then, of course, Dr. Wilbur would sell Shirley's artwork out of her office, some of which was worth more because it was touted to be done by some of her various personalities. Oh. Which personality made the most money? (laughs) I I wish I had those stats. (laughs) And finally, she made her therapy and all these perks that went along with it contingent on Shirley having this diagnosis of multiple personality disorder. So she can't get better. And we know this because there is an instance of Shirley going to Dr. Wilbur. She writes her this long letter and she's like, look, I made it all up. I don't have MPD. My mom was not a monster, but I'm still not okay. So can we stop this and actually figure out what the fuck is wrong with me? She goes, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to do regular therapy. To which Dr. Wilbur responded, well, I'm an MPD expert. So if you're not seeing me for that, then we should just sever our relationship altogether. Which was already so personally and financially involved that that was not an option for Shirley no if
0: somebody's paying for where you live and mm-hmm. where you go to school mm-hmm. and like what like how do you sever yourself from that at that point you're
1: indebted to them yeah. financially that's scary, yep. so Shirley said, Never mind, and then wrote another letter that said. You know what? I'm sorry. That was a different personality that wrote that letter. That was not me. That girl is so bitchy and jealous and awful. Is it Victoria? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. There is a whole list of every one of the personalities. Yo, Tori is one On Wikipedia. I feel it. Mm -hmm. Um, I also like that the last one is just called The Blonde. I was like, did she just not... Know any more names of rude. people? <laughs> <Rude>. So <laughs> super rude. Um, <laughs> Maybe Stacy would be fine. You're good with S names. So after these, after years of these sessions, Doctor Connie Wilbur is finally ready to share her findings with the world. But instead of publishing her research in say like a peer reviewed medical journal, like a normal doctor, <laughs> she says this has got to be a book. But she knows that she's not a strong writer. And this is when we get the last part of our weird triad. A woman named Flora Schreiber, who is a journalist, who is Is very Is Schreiber a last
0: name of somebody else important?
1: Uh, My fourth grade best friend, Hannah Schreiber. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Hannah. Here we are. Um, Woo. Her leaving the f- Pennsylvania wrecked me when I was a child. <laughs> Listen, famously, and, uh, Hannah famously. Schreiber <laughs> became a part of it. So Flora Schreiber is a journalist who is very keen on any material that could help her write a best-selling book. That was her goal. She was like, I don't care what the fuck it's about. I just want to write a best-selling book. Um, I mean, same. And the story of Shirley, which, of course, turned into Sybil, was exactly what she had been waiting for. But she told Dr. Wilbur, she goes, the only thing... That I'm going to say right up front is that if this book is going to work, there has got to be a happy ending. So if this, if I'm going to write this, Sybil needs to be cured, whether Shirley is or not. Uh, okay. So Doctor Wilbur decides that the best way to get Shirley cured is to have her move in with her, so they can do immersive 24 seven therapy. Are you? Woo!
0: Are you a little <laughs> weirded out that her? Wilbur and Shirley, aren't those the names in that book about the pig?
1: Some pig. Some Not pig. Babe Pig in the City, but <laughs> it is Wilbur. Charlotte's Web. Yeah, Charlotte's, Charlotte's Web. Web. Yes, because Wilbur is the dog. Yeah, for sure. The dog, the pig. The pig. Jesus Christ. But is Shirley like the little girl? I don't know. I thought it began f- with an F. It might. I thought it was like Fiona or yeah, something. Yeah, that sounds better. So anyways, the year is 1964. Shirley is 41. Damn. And the book writing has officially commenced. So the book is coming together, but Flora sees a real big problem. This book is boring as hell. (gasps) These other personalities are so surface level, and they're mostly children. So (laughs) she's like, you need to fix this situation. So Shirley and Connie get back in the chair and discover, oh, my God, the personalities have been aging. Mike, one of the male personalities, is a grown-up carpenter now. Look at that. Like, They're, they're growing with me. <laughs> then Flora says, also, these blackout scenes, scenes are fucking lame. They need to be a lot spicier. <laughs> so, Shirley, she, she was like, New York to Philly, that's not interesting. Let's work on the pacing. Let's work <laughs> on the pacing
0: of this story.
1: So, Shirley starts adding more to those as well. Eventually getting to the point where she said that during one of her blackout states, she was kidnapped, taken to Europe. She became a Nazi resistance fighter and helped a young Dutch woman escape Nazi-occupied Amsterdam. Flora is like, yes, bitch, let it rip. I love this. This is the content we've all been waiting for. Um, Yes, (laughs) brain on me. Now, Flora does have a bit of a crisis of conscience at some point because when she goes back to research Shirley's upbringing and get firsthand accounts of what a lunatic Shirley's mother was, no one in Dodge Center, Minnesota, has any idea what she's talking about.
0: They're like, her mom's perfectly fine as a human.
1: They're like, uh, if Maddie Mason was shitting on my lawn, I think I would remember that. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'd know. Also, like the orgies in the woods, she was like, there aren't even woods around here. That's not even possible. It's like the beginning of the crucible where they're (laughs) like ripping chickens up and you're like, what is (laughs) happening here? So she does kind of get spooked by this because and I think the only reason she got spooked was because she was like now these people know that what I'm gonna write isn't gonna be real and I think that I, I call it a crisis of conscience I think it was more so that she was like what if these people in Dodge Center Minnesota refute our book and that's what she was afraid of mm. that's my personal <laughs> idea my she belief to,
0: she should have had a whole chapter about how Dodge Center Minnesota is re- Ripe with cult, Filled with
1: liars <laughs> and Satanists. <laughs> so, but then Connie somehow calms her down and she convinces her like, don't worry, it's all true. No one's coming for us. And the book goes forward with publication on May 22nd, 1973.
0: Damn, we've been on the moon
1: and we're still <laughs> writing shit like this, huh? They, of course, want to protect shirley's identity so her mother's name is changed to hattie instead of maddie oh and shirley mason is changed to sybil Dorset, which we will find out is obviously not enough is <laughs> that was literally the only shit they changed was oh, everything else sybil. is the same? everything
0: else the college the
1: <laughs> hometown so Yikes. the book became a best seller Ooh. selling six million copies and then, of course, just three years later, Sally Fields starred in the infamous made-for-TV movie *Sybil*, which made the story explode even more. Apparently, the like when it was being shown on TV, like one fifth of America was watching it, which is a lot for TV viewership, especially That's back huge. in the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's no Super Bowl, but all, no, But things went so far that eventually, Dr. Wilbur created Sybil Inc. A company to process all of the money that they were making off of the case which wasn't just the book in the movie there was a Sybil doll there was a board game stickers t-shirts <laughs> people love when people are crazy <laughs> they do now the time period directly after is a bit hazy for the women but one person said that although Sybil Inc was making lots of money Shirley wasn't getting a ton of it because Connie was considering most of her share back payment for all the years of unpaid therapy. That is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) But Shirley does actually seem to move on with her life and she gets a job teaching art (laughs) at Rio Grande College. So she does finally become an art teacher. (laughs) But as the Sybil She should have gone into art therapy. She (laughs) should have, yeah. Like, number one thing to do. But as the Sybil story becomes more popular, people start to wonder who Sybil is because they know it's a real case. And everyone in her hometown is like, I can tell you who the fuck she is. That's Shirley Mason. Because they were like, this is, like, they just knew. They're like, there's no hiding this. You literally only changed her mother's name a little bit by one letter. (laughs) Shirley is so upset by all of this attention that she's getting that she quits her job and becomes a recluse. That's so sad. It's very sad. Dr. Wilbur, on the other hand, becomes so famous and so revered that she actually gets hired at some point uh, to a school in Kentucky to teach other young psych students how exactly to uncover their clients' repressed memories. She's like, well, here's the needle. Here's the tape recorder. (laughs) This is how you do it. They are so obsessed with her and her teachings that this group of students are eventually called Connie's children because they're such devoted like students of hers then she opens up her own clinic for Connie's multiple personality children? disorder get mm-hmm. out of here mm-hmm. that's a cult mm-hmm. that's terrible then she opens up her own clinic for mpd called the open hospital because she is seen as the world expert on the topic <laughs> And of course, Flora was just loving her newfound success. Apparently, people can always date a picture of Flora because she wore only mink coats after Sibyl. <laughs> but of course, they were not the only ones affected wow, by this, rice, book. am I right? <laughs> right. <laughs> what this meant for the American people at large is that more and more people are suddenly being diagnosed with multiple personality disorder and it's mainly women. Thousands of people were being diagnosed each year, which it reached its peak in the 1980s when 40,000 new cases were popping up almost every year. Unreal. Which, of course, led led it to being officially added into the DSM, as we discussed earlier. And this, unfortunately, though, I mean, people are being misdiagnosed. One woman named Jeanette recounted going in to seek help for depression, and she came out with multiple personality disorder. That sucks. Which then resulted in her receiving the same type of therapy combo that Shirley had experienced, drugs and hypnosis. Because here's the thing. Because Dr. Wilbur is the world-known expert, everyone who has a case suddenly of MPD is following her Letter to the law or whatever that phrase is. They are doing exactly what she did to Shirley, but now to thousands of people. And again, mainly women.
0: So it's like they switched from the early 1900s when women had hysteria Uh to now it's multiple personality disorder. Exactly. You just like pick a word and it's like if a woman is acting like a little bit off kilter. Yep. You just pick a name for it and that's what you
1: call it. Yep. That's terrible. And that two women are at the crux of it is even Mm -hmm. worse. Yeah. Yep, I mean, in one of Jeanette's recorded sessions, you can hear her doctor just blatantly ask her if she was inducted into a satanic cult by her parents, and she just slurs. Yeah, that sounds good. This went on for six years until she finally broke out of it, but this was happening to so many other people through the late 70s and the 80s. And this is also, like, one of the contributing factors to the satanic panic, which is something that, like, I would love to cover. I don't know how we could cover it, but I would love to because it's insane the grip that satanic cults had on American citizens, satanic cults that weren't real. It's like when you're a kid and you're really worried about quicksand, but, like, you never... it's actually not a problem at all. (laughs)
0: You never confront quicksand.
1: So... Thousands, tens upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are being diagnosed with MPD. And then in the 90s, there's suddenly a huge backlash and a whole lot of lawsuits against these doctors because they find out through people like Jeanette that this is not real valid good sound treatment like this is just abuse of patients and planting stories into their minds like Especially it's not because okay there are people with multiple personality <laughs> right? disorder there, there are people who are actually suffering and that need help yeah but not this kind of help no not at all so the term multiple personality disorder ends up becoming extremely toxic and it was eventually changed to disassociative identity disorder by which we know it now But the years go by, people are continually fascinated by Sybil. Jerry Springer is having specials filled with guests claiming to have 15 to 300 personalities. MPD is being used as a defense in criminal trials by people claiming like, well, yeah, I killed my wife, but it wasn't really me. It was another person who lives inside of me. And there is a woman named Debbie Nathan who wrote her first book on exposing the truth of the satanic panic. And was like, huh, well, this leads me directly into this multiple personality disorder thing. Because this Sybil case stinks to high heaven. Something is not right. There is something going on that is not being talked about. So she starts researching. (laughs) Now, to be clear, there had been skeptics throughout this whole journey. There was even a man back when this all started in the 1950s, who thought something was off. Dr. Herbert Spiegel was a colleague of Dr. Wilbur's who would fill in when she was away. He noted almost immediately that Shirley was very affected by hypnosis, and he could also tell that Shirley was particularly adept at reading what the therapist wanted and then giving it to them. Interesting. He gave an example (laughs) in one of their sessions She asked him, Do you want me to be Helen today? Dr. Wilbur really likes Helen. What? So Dr. Spiegel is basically the first one to say, I think something very weird is happening here. I don't think this patient has multiple personality disorder. He writes in his notes, I think she is a brilliant hysteric, which is why I named the cocktail after that, because I think it just He was the first one to notice it. Yeah. And I don't know why he chose to stay quiet. And just let this all persist, but maybe he didn't know the extent to which she was drugging her up and giving her shock treatment. I don't know, maybe he just didn't know about all that. And I, I mean know. that maybe
0: he thought too that this woman was actually getting help for the problems she right. did have. Yeah. And like that he probably put faith in the fact that Connie Wilbur was like being a coddling, like kind doctor. Because mm-hmm. like you want to believe that everybody is as good at their
1: job as you are. Yeah. But it's just not true. But his notes about his uh, doubts Mm. (laughs) gave Debbie Nathan kind of a starting point for her research Mm. on her groundbreaking book, Sybil Exposed. This book, published in 2011, 2011 <laughs> that's like just now, just now, takes you through the case of Sybil, but exposes what was actually going on in the background. So basically the entire story I just told you was the one unveiled in this book. She uncovered the gritty details of those recordings that showed the coercion and the leading that was happening between these two women. And she also had access to all of Flora Schreiber's documents that were archived at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice that were suddenly made public after Flora died. So then she's going and she's looking at her notes and she sees all of her things about how she went to the hometown and nobody remembered this. And she had also gathered up all of like Sybil's report cards and her doctor's visits and her actual diary from when she was a kid. And, uh, Her fake diary from when she was an adult, because she's like, look at this diary from when she was an adult. She's talking about things that don't exist yet, right? Like there's some kind of mention of like a ballpoint pen, which wasn't commonly used until like 1948 or something. Do your research. Do your research, (laughs) bitch. Um, That's what Debbie Nathan is doing. Uh So, Uh (laughs) um, so she exposes all of this and kind of like sheds a light on this story that is so pervasive in modern culture now that like, I didn't know it was fake. You would never know. I, I always no thought idea. Sybil was real. Yeah. I me always too. thought it was like a hundred percent real. And people have been revering Dr. Connie Wilbur as like this saint of psychology. So she exposes the whole thing. And as far as things go now, DID or disassociated identity disorder, is still a controversial diagnosis. Some doctors say that it doesn't exist at all. Others think that there's no one who ever fakes it. (laughs) But many find the truth of the matter somewhere in between. People definitely disassociate based on trauma. Uh, They can experience these blackout phases, uh, and why it's fairly common to not remember tragic events. So I am not saying in this episode that this disorder is not real. No, it exists. I believe that it exists. But what I am saying is that I believe that Shirley Mason was a victim of abuse by Dr. Connie Wilbur, and that this ridiculously inappropriate relationship paved the way for other patients to be abused by their counselors by being misdiagnosed and by being just loaded up with drugs, put under hypnosis, and being given memories that didn't fucking happen
0: and how much does that fuck you up for the rest of your life
1: i mean there's one woman that was like i thought that my parents were members of the kkk and i thought that i saw them murder a black man right you leave your family and it didn't happen and she goes and i ruined my parents reputation i because i told everyone that they were these awful people and you ruin your relationship with family members even if it's not that extreme to like the community if you think that your family members abused you and they didn't yeah Terrible. And then it gets even harder for people that are abused, (laughs) like specifically
0: because this is mostly women like normal. And people like to be like, oh, well, women
1: are lying when they confess something like that. Well, this doesn't help. Yeah, it doesn't. So, one of the theories about what was actually going on with Shirley was that she had something called pernicious anemia, which can cause symptoms such as weight loss, fatigue. Dizziness, confusion, all of which she was experiencing. The solution to this is vitamin B12. (laughs) Now, there were obviously some other mental health things going on, perhaps anxiety and depression, but overall, Shirley didn't need to be drugged up, hypnotized, and shocked. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist, but Seems like what she needed was some fucking vitamins and for someone to listen to her. I think that's what she needed. She needed an actual, like, psychologist. Shirley Mason lived alone for many years. But when Dr. Wilbur was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 1991, Shirley moved back in with her to become her caretaker. Dr. Wilbur died in 1992, and then a few years later, Shirley was diagnosed with breast cancer and died on February 26, 1998.
0: This is like Stockholm Syndrome uh, times 100.
1: But Sybil, in all of her controversial glory, will never die and lives forever in our minds as a sign of the mystery that is the human experience and, of course, as Sally Fields. (laughs) And that's the story... Of Sybil. Of course it is. <laughs> Isn't that
0: crazy? That is so crazy. I can't believe that I thought still to this day that she had multiple personalities. I would mm-hmm. venture to guess the majority of people do. Yeah. I would love, she's the Hallmark case. I would love for people to tell us like yeah. on this episode. Like comment and just let us know. Yeah. How much
1: did you know about this? Like, how fucked up is their relationship? That's crazy. That's <laughs> so inappropriate. Um, but yeah. So that is Sybil, and I am obsessed that Debbie Nathan was like, "I'm gonna get to the bottom of this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna expose the shit out of." She Nancy Dr. Connie Wilbur. Yeah, she did.
0: <laughs> um, are you ready to talk about more diagnosis mayhem? Yes, ah! I'm ready. Oh, good. <laughs> For round two, this cocktail is so cute. I'm glad <laughs> you think it's adorable. I was feeling adorable. And summary, I would never make this in the wintertime. No, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> so this is called Different But Not Less. Mm. And it is kind of a take on a creamsicle, but also like a float. So it is a half an ounce of simple syrup an ounce and a half of vanilla vodka, um, a half an ounce of lemon juice, an orange slice, um, some ice cream, and then <laughs> the whole thing has, once you get all that in there, you pour over um, orange soda and champagne.
1: And champagne, and guys. Champagne. Double bubbles. Woo! Cheers. Cool. Mm. I love it so sweet i because i think the the champagne cuts the um orange soda yeah so, like you're still tasting orange soda but it feels like it's just like orange flavored champagne <laughs> and i think once the ice cream melts a little bit yes. it's gonna be
0: a little bit
1: more creamy Ugh, it is perfect i frankly love this cocktail what so a much
0: wonderful summer cocktail mm. okay so Tell me what you know
1: about Temple Grandin. I don't know anything. Okay. The only thing I know is that she likes to wear a good Western shirt and she did something with education and I think you said like differently abled folks. Yeah. And that is, that's all I know. I don't know anything. So
0: Temple Grandin is like a legend in the world of autism and animal rights which are like two very separate fields, Mm -hmm. but her story is so amazing. My sources were of course she's written a ton of articles and books about her life so I read tons of sections from those um I read this article about famous women online obviously wikipedia and then there's an amazing uh hbo max movie about her that if you have hbo you can watch or amazon prime has it on rent for $3.99 and mm. I highly suggests the movie okay. it is so good claire danes plays temple grandin Catherine o'hara plays her aunt it's like a great movie won tons of awards what is it called temple grandin oh just temple grandin. yeah it's just okay. called her name <laughs> so cool um and i can't wait to tell her story okay i'm ah! excited <laughs> okay so mary temple grandin was born in 1947 in boston massachusetts to a very wealthy family Mm. like big time wealthy but one of the employees of her family was also named mary so for her entire life she was referred to by her middle name temple to avoid confusion Mm. as a baby like little tiny baby temple was completely typical she would eat she would sleep she would cry like she's a totally typical baby her mom was named anna Eustacia, which is what she went mm. by Eustacia, which i think is a very bold choice super bold Eustatia. and uh she was an actress and a singer but she also had a degree in english from harvard university oh, shit. so her mom's okay. no fucking joke mm-hmm. her dad was richard grandin and she, her mom also went by her maiden name so okay. it's like that's cool her mom's chill as hell <laughs> Her dad's Richard Grandin, and he was a real estate agent and the heir to the largest corporate wheat farm business in the United States. Okay. Big money. Okay. To to emphasize the old money, one of her grandparents was the man who invented autopilot. And on the other side, they drilled for oil and had huge plots <sighs> of undeveloped land in the Dakotas. <gasps> oh my God. So Temple is like... Just like born with a silver spoon. So much money. Everything's going right for her until it isn't. As Temple started to grow and develop, her mother started to notice that she wasn't progressing educationally like other children. And her mom, like any other wealthy woman with means, starts taking her to any doctor possible to find out why. When she was two years old, they just diagnosed her with brain damage but her mom's like there's been no trauma to her head in her early childhood i just
1: don't buy it that's like exactly what's happening with rosemary kennedy yes this but is she a- just like wasn't learning like the other kids And they're like mm. brain
0: damage brain damage this is a very similar story except better Parent. Better ending. Good.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably because what you said, she's born in 1977? uh 47. Oh, 1947. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I thought you Temple, said 77. Temple is still alive right now. And okay. is a professor at a
0: college. <gasps> Just FYI. FYI.
1: Everybody. <laughs> I don't mean to spoil the ending, but. <laughs> <gasps> it's amazing. Okay.
0: Okay. So Temple's about four years old. She's still nonverbal. Okay. And her mother chanced upon a diagnostic checklist for this new thing called autism so as teachers we have to fill these out all the time mm-hmm. they send you a checklist and it's like does this kid display this yes no like likert scale somewhat a little bit not at
1: all blah blah blah, blah. is and that you what just, a likert scale is
0: yeah oh when you from the the middle's neutral and then there's oh. the two on one side and two on the other <laughs> didn't know it had a name yeah it's called
1: buzzfeed <laughs> it's called a likert scale <laughs>
0: um because the guy i think his last name was likert uh that's right yeah I don't know. I had to write a whole bunch of them in college. (laughs) But she, um, her mom's like, you know, this checklist, it seems oddly familiar. And like, I have a degree from Harvard. So like, I think I know what I'm talking about. So after reviewing the checklist, her mother is hypothesizing like, okay, my daughter might have this. So she takes her to a doctor and the doctor agrees with the mom's findings. Like, yes, I think your daughter has... Autism. At the time though, her mother was told what all mothers were told with autistic children. So here's the deal the most common traits, and this is not everybody who's autistic, but the most common traits of autistic children um, is they don't want physical contact, mm-hmm. like they don't like hugs. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't speak. A lot of times they're nonverbal, they're very sensitive to sound. Light and colors, so they typically hold their ears and and shut their eyes, uh, and they don't make a lot of eye contact. Hmm. Um, so mothers at the time, including Eustacia, were told that the cause of autism was having a cold mother during their developmental years when the child needed love and nourishment. So, doctors are blaming moms (gasps) for autism.
1: Oh my god, and now. Eustacia
0: has the money to fight this, but imagine women in poverty, women
1: of color who are just shamed. Well, and because her, I also feel like Eustacia was like, I also know for a fact that that's not fucking true. It mm-hmm. seems like she's like, Yeah, no, I am a warm, caring mother. And unfortunately, a lot of other moms, like, especially, I'm thinking of like a mom who, like, is busy, isn't able to be at home as much. And she's like, Wow. I wanted to have it all, and now my child has this right. thing going on, and it's all my fucking fault. Moms across the country are blaming themselves <gasps> for children having autism. I mean, what's new? Yeah. It's like, literally, what's new? Honestly, what's new? What's new? Jesus yeah. Christ, it's still happening. Mm-hmm. Also, I just realized that, like, I didn't think about this, but, like, since Sybil's real name is Shirley, we're doing Shirley and Temple.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Shirley. De- we should have had a Shirley Temple side I know. <laughs> Sidecar. Okay. <laughs> okay.
1: So Jinx,
0: her mother is like, I know that's not true because A, I have other children who I treated the exactly the same and they're typical. So Temple's the oldest, but since then she has had other babies and she's like, also I've done everything for her. This is an incorrect diagnosis. And she had enough like money and prowess to say that. When she asked about treatment, they were told there is no treatment for autism and you need to institutionalize her for life. Oh
1: my God. For autism. Oh my God.
0: Like a very common, common, like n- learning disability that is very easy to live with. You know what I mean? And like become a successful adult. Like that's crazy. Okay. This caused a bitter rift between her parents because her father wanted to follow the advice of the doctors, a.k.a. have an easy rich boy life. And Eustacia strongly opposed the idea. She's like, I'm not going to never see my daughter again. That's fucking insane. She's fine. Needless to say, Eustacia keeps trying. This should be an episode about her because right, motherfucker, yeah. <laughs> she is great. She keeps trying and searching, side feminism, <laughs> and eventually locates a neurologist who's like, you should try speech therapy, which for those of you who don't know, speech a speech therapist is offered in every public school in the country now. Sometimes it's as much as bringing in a kid that has a lisp or who doesn't say their R's properly and working with them once a week on how to kind of um reform the way they talk to typical speech yeah sometimes it's a kid that is autistic and a little bit awkward and they're like okay I want you to watch how these two cool kids interact (laughs) I'm serious they'll be like watch this kid see how they walk Mm -hmm. how they interact and then kind of try to mimic that behavior Mm -hmm. because a lot of these kids just get picked on mercilessly because they don't understand social interaction they can't read facial expressions the way that other kids do yeah
1: I actually it's funny i went to one of my friends when I was younger she was in speech therapy Mm -hmm. and we were hanging out and you know she had to go to procession so we went together and uh, it was really interesting because I'd never seen anything like that you know and she would say like things like okay so like your tongue is thrusting forward it's hurting your teeth that's why you need braces so like you need to put your tongue like right here at the roof of your mouth you know and like you have to practice it and every time you know, you hear the word lingua. She's like, "That's your like cue," mm-hmm. you know, and that you're saying it wrong. You're doing yeah. it wrong. Yeah, and like she was, you know, it was just really interesting because I just had never, yeah, seen anything like it. So, they're it's, very important people. they the such important therapists. people, <laughs>
0: and we have a, uh, and we'll talk more about her. But Katie and I have a cousin who spent her entire life in speech therapy. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, just to slow down yeah. because a lot of times, um people who are living with certain disabilities, it's the connect between their brain and their mouth. And once they get that connection, they spill everything out in one second. And it's like, and it's like, no, slow down. Nobody can understand what you're saying right now. So such important people. Okay. Right after that, her mother hires a nanny to play educational games with her all day for hours. She's like, I just want you to play. Here's colors, here's shapes, here's sizes. Cause her mom has other kids and like is doing so many things. So she's like, I want to give temple everything she can. We now know that one of the best ways to work with autistic children is early and often educational intervention. Wow. Like be as soon as you know, get on it, get, them learning get them with other kids get them involved institutionalizing them is the worst thing you can do it's exclusion Mm -hmm. and that doesn't help yeah okay so she starts kindergarten and obviously her parents have money so her teacher and her classmates strove to create an inclusive environment for her temple obviously considers herself very fortunate to have had supportive mentors starting from a very young age because it's very easily could have gone the other way Even so, just like everyone in the world, she describes middle and high school as the worst years of her life. Mm. Kids are just mean and heartless. And this is kind of the double-edged sword of being wealthy. It's like your parents have enough money to get you the treatment you need But also, the other kids around you are so spoiled that they ostracize you. Yeah. And we saw this happen to our cousin as well. Yes. Like, anything that her parents paid for her to do, the other kids were just so heartless and mean, especially (sighs) horse riding, from what I've heard, Mm -hmm. was, like, the worst for her. Like, that community just, like, was really bad to her. Yeah.
1: I mean, kids are so cruel. And then when you're already feeling different, like... And it, and it doesn't matter that it's like, no, everybody gets made fun of when you're in middle school. It's like, no, this is different when you're targeted, it's a target. And it's something that (laughs) it's not like, oh, I don't like your shoes. Someone make fun of you. It's like, this is something that is a part of me as a person. Right. And now I'm being targeted and it's something I don't have any power over. You like become so ashamed of who you
0: are, like at every step, which is just torture. Oh God. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Ah, I hate it. Middle school is the worst. It really
0: is. So I'm going to reference the HBO movie a lot because it's just amazing. But the best part about it is the way that it depicted sound. So Temple has color, sound, and touch sensitivity. But like you can't really show color and touch sensitivity on screen. But you can show sound sensitivity. So um she also fixates a lot of kids fixate like I had a kid one of my first years teaching who was autistic and he just loved ceiling fans and when he found out I lived in an old home in Baltimore that didn't have central air he was like I need you to take a picture of every one of your ceiling fans and like bring them in huh. and he like analyzed my ceiling fans and wow. I was like this is amazing he's like this is a five blade that's incredible you I was like, he
1: has an only fans account now
0: Probably He's <laughs> psych. He's probably like a college Only graduate who like is amazing, <laughs> but I she- would love if
1: he patented that website first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they had to pay him like millions of dollars.
0: Uh-huh. I'm a ceiling fan <laughs> fan of ceilings. So also she is a person who has a photographic memory. So she could look at something and remember it mm-hmm. like forever. Even if she didn't understand it, she could mm-hmm. remember it. So, The thing about the sound is in the movie, the noise is purposefully distracting. So when Temple's talking to other people, she's talking too loud and they're just like put off by it. Like the background's quiet and she's just being too loud. But when people are talking to her, everything is distracting people moving plates people folding paper people like you parking their car and you just like you can almost not even focus on the scene Mm -hmm. because temple can't focus on what they're saying yeah and it's just so drastic that you just feel overwhelmed by the noise and that's how they feel like 24 24 7 the noise is overwhelming and i just thought they did such a great great job Mm -hmm. Showing how sound sensitivity is so, so harmful.
1: There's everything. So it's she's... so real. It's so real. Because when someone tells you that, you're like, I don't understand what you mean. Yeah. But then when it's in a movie and you're like, oh. Like, I, I can't focus. I see what's happening now. Because it's, like, it's happening to me. Right. Because someone's doing it to me on purpose. <laughs> and it's like,
0: I need to put on, like, the subtitles so I can focus on this scene. Because it's yeah. so upsetting to me right now.
1: Mm-hmm. So...
0: She's in middle school at Beaver County Day School, 7th to ninth grade. At 14 years old, she gets expelled for throwing a book at a classmate who's taunting her. And she would have these outbursts of emotion because she couldn't get her words from her brain to her mouth. And people were just so mean to her. Today, she describes herself as a nerdy kid who is ridiculed by everyone. She'd walk down the hall at school and people would yell at her and say, tape recorder, tape recorder, because she had this repetitive speech pattern, Mm -hmm. not like a stutter, but almost like she would say things a couple times just because she couldn't hear herself think. She wasn't sure if they were hearing her think like, so she's just saying things a couple of times Mm -hmm. and she says, I can laugh about it now, but back then it really hurt. The year after her expulsion, her parents get divorced because it's just too much. Yeah. They, The dad just kind of couldn't handle it. But three years later, her mom marries this amazing guy named Ben, who's like a famous saxophone player in New York City. <laughs> okay. So it's like, whatever, you're fine. Boston, New York, everything's good. <laughs> and Ben has this sister. And his sister has a ranch out west. So over the summer, they send 15-year-old Temple to work on the ranch in Arizona with her aunt and uncle. This would become a formative experience for her future career. And the aunt is Catherine O'Hara. So, (laughs) God, it's good. (laughs) She's there for the summer, and she, like, is seeing these cowboys dealing with these cows. And so, you know, like, how... When they need to, like, tag a cow or, like, do, like, give them an injection or something. They put them in that metal thing that, mm-hmm. like, holds them there. Well, the cows would be freaking out and mooing and this, that, and the other. And then they'd get in the thing and it would clamp shut and the cow would automatically calm down. And Temple's like, why are they calming down?
1: I right. need I need to they understand. Yeah, should
0: be, like, yeah why? crazier. Right. Like, why does this squeeze thing? And the cowboys are like, no, like... It just, it makes them feel at rest. And she's going up like touching their heart rate and they really are at rest.
1: Right. It's not like they just can't move. She's like, oh, they actually.
0: Right. And like from an autistic kid who hates being hugged, she's trying to figure out why this clamping feeling is so very damn restful. Mm -hmm. And she starts to associate and understand animals as part of her autistic brain. She's like, they're freaking out because they don't understand the world around them. And if you can give us a moment of peace, right. we can have that resting of the heart rate. Mm-hmm. So she works there for the summer and like really forms a connection with livestock but I also want to say, Temple is not a vegetarian. She is not a vegan. She works in the ranching community yep. and, like, understands the ranching culture. She just also really feels a respect for the way that cowboys can calm an animal very quickly. Mm-hmm. Following her expulsion, she ends up going to a boarding school. Her mom's like, we need to teach her independence. It's called Hampshire Country School, and it's founded by a Boston child psychologist. And the kids aren't great, but she does get accepted a little bit. Like the the people there, she like gets on the hockey team. She's going to school dances. And she meets William Carlock, who is her science teacher, who used to work at NASA. And he is her supporter, her mentor, her sponsor, and helps her build her self-confidence. He encourages her to build a squeeze machine for herself, just like the cows. And um, if you Google the squeeze machine or the hug machine, it comes up on Wikipedia as an invention made by Temple Grandin to help kids with autism be hugged, like without being part of physical touch. The squeeze
1: machine. Yeah. This is something that they actually, like, she
0: will actually sit in it and it closes on her just like it would with a cow and it hugs her so that, like, she can calm down for a moment. Just like a normal child would in their mother's arms. Wow. So, people it, use it. People use it. People use it. It's not like some people look against it because they're like, they use that on animals. But it's like, this is something that like really helps some autistic kids. That, that feeling of being wrapped in someone's arms without it's a It's like person. a thunder thundershirt yes. for dogs. Yes, like. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly like that. So it's very helpful. And she invented it with her How? teacher's help. She's really interested in science and working with animals. And her teacher's like, look, there's a degree for that. College is for anything. Like, you can go and learn about livestock and husbandry, Mm -hmm. taking care of animals. So when she graduates from high school, this teacher calls in some favors. He's like, look, she might not have all the records, but she can graduate from college. You can help her. So she ends up going to Franklin Pierce College. And um, she has her dorm room and the college is really critical about her bringing this squeeze machine into the dorm room they think it's like sexual (laughs) and they're like I swear to god it's not sexual and she's like look I'll prove it to you I'm gonna like um do an experiment And she does a full experiment on the machine where she puts typical people in it and she measures their heart rate and she gives them a questionnaire about how they feel afterwards and the majority of the people, their heart rate goes down and they are calmed by being in the squeeze machine. It's
1: interesting too because I'm looking at photos of it because I could not understand Mm -hmm. what was going on. And it's interesting too because some of them... They do like steam rollers mm-hmm. and it's like the two things, like, and the kid kind of like slides through right. it. Right. That is fascinating. And this just, one kid is just strapped to a board. Yeah. The board's like yeah. close on him. Yep. That doesn't look as nice. Nope. I like the rolly thing. I like yeah. the steam roller. <laughs> the steam roller. <laughs> I, I prefer a steam roller yeah. Sheet. um Yeah. I just. Yeah. All the other ones look terrifying.
0: <laughs> but it's just very interesting that like the college was like no, we don't want this here. It's sexual. And she was like I'll do an entire scientific experiment to prove that it helps not just me but everyone. Yeah. Um and she does and they let her keep it. Yeah. At the college. Um but she was she was having a pretty pretty bad college experience. Mm-hmm. Like she's not the college type of girl and the kids didn't understand her until The school decides let's just group everybody who's different together and they give her a blind roommate and her and this blind roommate become such great Mm. friends because she hears the world through sound as well. Mm. So like she can acknowledge very differences in sound waves that somebody with autism acknowledges. Yeah. And she's also not, like, annoyed by the squeeze machine. She can't see it. Right. Like, like, there's a scene in the movie where Temple's like, you want me to move the squeeze machine? And she's like, no, actually keep it still so I know where it always is so I don't bump into it. There you go. Like, it's a very, like, beautiful relationship Mm -hmm. that blooms between these two women. Mm Mm-hmm. She goes on to earn her bachelor's in human psychology in 1970 and then a master's in animal science from Arizona State University in 1975 and then a doctorate in animal science from the University of Mm. Illinois. That's incredible. A doctorate. Mm. Now, it is not to say that this was easy for her because, and the movie harps on this, her books harp on this. Working in the field of animal husbandry is a real boys club. Ranching is a boy thing. And the fact that, so her big thing is she got onto ranches. She doesn't want to stop the slaughtering of animals, but she believes that animals should be treated with the utmost respect until the moment they're slaughtered. And these men who have been in the business for decades think that she's a little woman who like isn't good with like the cruelty of a ranch. Mm-hmm. So like they just don't get her. And on top of that, I mean, most of the discrimination was because she's a woman. And on top of that, she can't verbalize the things she wants to say. Right. So it's hard. So she starts with her animal activism in 1980. She publishes two articles on the treatment of livestock handling. An example in the movie is she goes to a ranch and the cows are like a mooing really loudly. And she's like, why are they being so loud? And they're like, that's just cows. And right. she's like, no, they're prey animals. They're quiet. So they don't get hunted. Like they're obviously scared. What you're oh. doing is scaring them. So she creates like a new She wrote a dissertation like on the mooing of cows and like on the uncomfortableness of pigs like and she redesigns ranches so that the cows walk one way while the ranchers walk another way and they don't cut in the middle of the cows. She redesigns slaughterhouses. It used to be cheaper to have like slats in the walls, Uh but cows get nervous about shadows and their heart rate goes up. She's like, Uh. we need solid walls. And they're like, but that's expensive. And they're like, yeah, it's expensive, but like it's going to save you from everything getting backed
1: up when they get scared. It's also interesting to have someone who is like, I care about these animals so much that, like, yeah, sure, we could stop slaughtering cows tomorrow. Right. But we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. The way it's just that's not going to happen. Yeah. So I kind of like that she's like, I'm going where, like, vegans don't like to go. I'm going to try and not that no vegan has ever gone here before. Mm-hmm. But, like, she's like, I'm going to go in, and I'm going to try and make this experience not as horrendous. And PETA <laughs> gave her an award. <gasps> An War. Yeah. Look at them. Because Which is crazy cuz like she's literally designing slaughterhouses, yeah, but <laughs> she is
0: she is designing slaughterhouses but 50% of the slaughterhouses in the United States use her design now. What? 50%? That's crazy. She has like totally reinvented the way that we kill animals so it is the most humane thing possible. Without them getting scared, without their heart rate going up amazing just like the kindest she's like we use these animals the least we can do is respect them yeah like why not (laughs) you know and she created like numeric scoring systems to analyze how well the animals are being treated um And she has written 60 peer-reviewed papers about this. Like, so she is a really big deal. Her most famous paper was called Animals Are Not Things and posits that animals are the property of society, but we need to give them all the ethical protections and rights of humans. Mm. Beyond this, she started getting famous for everything she wrote and people just on paper couldn't believe that she was Autistic. And she kept going to lots of different conferences about Autism and about education for Autistic children. And she has helped to break down years of shame and stigma because she was one of the first adults to publicly disclose that she was Autistic. Mm-hmm. Of her first book that was published in 1986, people wrote Temple's ability to convey to the reader her innermost feelings and fears, coupled with her capacity for explaining mental processes, gives the reader an insight into autism that very few have been able to achieve. Hmm. She's written about aspects of her verbal rehabilitation, She's written about how to provide job training for people um, with disabilities and overall provided a bridge between the typical way of thinking and hers. In her early writing, she did, this is back in the 80s, categorize herself as a recovered autistic. But as things has changed, she's understand that that's not a true thing. That she is a person living with autism and has learned how to live with it. Mm -hmm. In 1995, Temple's book, Thinking in Pictures, showed that Temple was an individual photographic memory. And the movie does a great job with this. Like, she'll see something and it, like, sketches it out and then kind of, like, stores it in her brain. Mm -hmm. And you can see it come out in the way she speaks. Um... And she used to think that all autistic people were like this. But by 2006, she realized that she was wrong in that presumption. And she has now categorized different type of autistic thinking into visual, music and math, and verbal logistics. And... In 1980, she gave her first public speech about autism where she advocates for early intervention and supportive teachers who understand autism, which is why we all get multiple education classes on this. Um, she wants people to understand hypersensitivity to noise and sensory stimuli. She compares her memory in the full length uh uh, to like full length movies in her head like my memory can hold everything Mm. she absolutely does not support the elimination of the autistic gene so she is not the type of person who is like we should breed this out of us like no we're fine about her personal life grandin says the part of other people that has emotional relationships is not a part of me So she's never been married and she's never had children. She has noted in her autobiographical work that autism affects every single aspect of every day of her life. Her clothes have to be comfortable and because of her sensory. And in her life, she knows she has to avoid situations where there's too much sensory overload. Too loud, book parties, like big events where people are all over her she takes an antidepressant every day and she doesn't use the squeeze machine anymore because she's adjusted to getting human hugs recently Temple was named on the list of the 100 most influential people in the world on the heroes list and she was also added to the women's history hall of fame there are countless books and magazines written about her even a documentary called the woman who thinks like a cow but Most importantly, she was the subject of an HBO movie called Temple Grandin that was nominated for Emmys and Golden Globes. And like I said, it's Claire Danes, Catherine O'Hara, a couple other amazing people, highly suggest. But the coolest thing is she was there when Mm. the movie won a ton of awards. And she supports every scene and says, yes, that does show how I think. And she got to go on stage and accept the awards for the movie. And even better, after six or seven decades of not getting hugs for her child, from her child, Temple got on stage, pointed to the audience, and said, That's my mom. Can you stand <laughs> up? And her mom stood up in the audience and everybody clapped for Eustacia, who was still alive to watch her daughter. Get the awards at the Emmys for her life. That's so nice. It's so nice because these two women fought a battle together. And because Eustacia taught her daughter that you're different, but you're not less. And today Temple is a college professor. She's 74 and she is an activist for animals and autism
1: I can't believe I've never heard of her. <laughs> What's the fuck? Incredible Katie. She has changed the world. She really did. And I think about like you know, people I know whose kids are going through this process of like learning what like having an autistic child means and like what like how how to proceed and like And how to care for them. Because that's the thing. It's like, it's so easy to say how to deal with them. And it's not how to deal with them. It's how to care for for them and how to make sure that they are living a good life. Like, because they need different things than other people do to live that good life. And like... Wow, that was amazing.
0: It's such a good story, and I'm just so happy that her and her mother lived to see the end of the story. Yeah. And, like, that is still going. Like, her mom's work
1: paid off. All right. Now we need to talk about these two women (laughs) in conversation with each other in a little segment we like to call Just Just the the Two two of us. Us. Okay, I cannot emphasize how much this was not planned. Wowza. We didn't know who each other was doing. Wowza. And it's funny because I thought you were doing somebody else. I was going to do somebody else. And then I changed it midweek. I got you know, wild. I did the same thing. I was going to do someone else. And then I changed it because I was like, ooh, this looks interesting. Yeah. So, <laughs> I took
0: mine off of our request list. And also, like, I had typed it into my phone a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago. And I was just like, it's time.
1: Yeah. I was... knew I
0: had to do it. And I knew it would be a big story. But it was like, <sighs> it was time.
1: It's a big story. And it's. I think it's totally apt that they are paired together because I just wish that Shirley had the resources and the people that cared about her the way that Temple did. It makes me so fucking sad that, like, there are so many people like Shirley who slip through the cracks. And I feel like that's the beauty of Temple's story is that she's like, no, those people shouldn't slip through the cracks anymore we should be caring for them well like, and i
0: think it's so easy to like put wealth like at the precipice of it but also I, then i think about the kennedys and i'm like mm-hmm. but you didn't do that for rosemary it yeah. is a special kind of person yeah who and and this is literally for anybody listening who is raising a child who is living with a disability you are a special kind of person yeah like well, so special
1: and i think you're so right because I don't actually think that money was as big of a problem Mm -hmm. uh, as big of a thing because I think uh, Eustacia Mm -hmm. was just someone who was going to go to bat for her kid. Mm -hmm. And did she have more ability to than other people? Like, sure. But I think that she would have done that regardless. And like Shirley's mom didn't, she was dealing with her own shit. She was dealing with, I think from what I understand, like severe depression and she Couldn't go to bat for her daughter because I don't think anyone went to bat for her. And it's just reminding me of this cycle of like generational trauma that begets each other. And you need someone like Eustacia who's going to break that cycle. And now Temple has broken that cycle for so many people because... Because of her, we don't have as many Shirley's as we once did. Right. There's not as many
0: stigmas attached with being a mother with a child with a disability.
1: Yeah. Which is great. And Shirley didn't have autism that we know of, but she definitely had something going on. And it was, instead of being explored and in a kind way, it was totally exploited. Mm. And it, it means a lot to me, too, that like movies were made about both of them. And one was extremely exploitative because it was based on things that weren't really real. Yeah. And one was made with so much consent that she was there. She's like, this is exactly how I wanted it to go, which doesn't happen with movies. Right. It was perfectly done. (laughs) Yeah. Which you can like never say. There's always some producer, (laughs) some flora, who's like, that's not spicy enough. Yeah. That's not good enough. That's not what viewers want.
0: And I kept thinking about Connie and her teacher Mm -hmm. who is such a sponsor and Mm -hmm. so helpful and just kept being like, I am going, Mr. Carlock, I am going to get you to a place where you can succeed. Mm -hmm. And he is such a sponsor for her. Whereas Connie and Flora were just using.
1: They were. Using Shirley. It's terrible. As a child, Connie knew she wanted to just have, I don't think she cared what the fuck it was. And she would, and I think it's, that's why it's so important to know too, that like, they didn't start doing this whole MPD thing until 10 years after they first met. They didn't start that whole journey. They right. were separated for, what was it, nine years. Yeah. And then she was like, oh, that's right. <laughs> that's the girl that, like, I am going to make into my MPD study. Mm. And this is going to be it because she is my perfect molding clay (laughs) and i like that she's making shirley work for her and her fit into her diagnosis and sybil has to go through i mean sorry temple has to go through the world and figure out how to make herself fit into it and she's like i have to have a contraption (laughs) not have to but like this contraption helps me like she's helping other people how to Exist in the world when I think all Connie wanted to do is make Shirley fit into her world, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, like a cult of one. Like, And how crazy is it that
0: Temple's bachelors is in psychology? I know. know. It's absurd and, like, amazing that, like, she is... It's so meta. She's mm-hmm. aware enough. A lot of times, like people with trauma are like, I need to get a sociology degree. And it's mm-hmm. like, why? Because you want to analyze yourself. But I just feel like Temple was so self aware mm-hmm. that she was like, I, I, I understand mm-hmm. that I'm a little atypical, mm-hmm. but I can also, I want to hone that
1: ability. And she did. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I just think of how often in their younger years, how they were weird or different and, and like every intervention to kind of curb that was totally opposite mm. yes you know and just from an early age they had such different experiences and uh, god I also I think it's interesting that they both kind of became spokespeople of their diagnosis yeah but here's the difference is that Temple became more involved with people better understanding her diagnosis. Oh, yeah. And because Shirley was exploited and misdiagnosed, she couldn't become like this kind of beacon for people with MPD or DID. Then her legacy is that she was taken advantage of. She made the whole thing up. People think she's a fucking liar. And she's not an active agent in her own story. Temple is so active in changing the way her diagnosis is viewed for the better. And it's, it kind of sucks that like, because of Shirley's whole situation, like more people got abused through her. Right. And I feel like Temple stopped a lot of abuse in its track. Oh yeah. And that's just, and they weren't that far apart in years. I mean, when Temple was born in the forties, that was like around the first time that she ever met Connie. Right. So Temple is 10 years old by the time that they are even starting their journey towards this whole book and everything. And that's and how,
0: how you can imagine that Eustacia <sighs> was given this advice to just yeah. institutionalize your daughter because that was not long ago. Mm-hmm. Like the this woman who is still alive, mm-hmm. who is a college professor with mm-hmm. a doctorate, mm-hmm. she was supposed to be institutionalized yeah. for her life.
1: And it's interesting, too, because, like, the Dr. Connie, you know, she, we know this from the person who wrote Sybil Exposed, her research, that, like, she's looking at the literal report cards of Shirley, and Dr. Connie is telling her, like, you were a straight A student until your multiple personalities came out, and that's why you started getting bad grades. Like, she's like, no, if we look at the actual record of things, like she wasn't functioning in that environment anyways. Like she was getting like C's and D's and whatever, like before any of this happened. So like from the get go, things were not working for Shirley. But again, it's like no one was saying, Hmm, she's not thriving in this environment. (laughs) What's going on? And then it's like, then someone putting that idea in your mind and then it becomes part of her story that like, I was a straight A student until my mom started taking me to lesbian orgies in the woods, <laughs> you know, and it's like, so it's so frustrating. Yeah. I, don't the, know.
0: I mean, the school system is set up that way to frustrate us. Mm-hmm. Is it not? Yes. Mm.
1: All, right. all right. Are you ready to toast? these I women? am. Okay. Uh, who would you like to toast this evening?
0: I want to toast to all the people whose intentions are good, but they're just so mm. misunderstood because of the lack of. Societal know-how mm-hmm. to to understand or accept people who are different. Yeah. Oh, cheers. Cheers. You want to toast?
1: I mean, mine's on a similar vein, obviously, because our stories were so oddly in line with each other this yeah. week. Um, I just want to toast to folks who are struggling with any type of mental or physical illness who aren't being treated with respect and aren't being treated properly there are so many people who are still misdiagnosed today that are just suffering and or properly diagnosed and treated like shit yeah exactly it's just it's hard and i want to toast you because you're still going every day (laughs) even though the world is not built for you right now (laughs) all right Okay. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week?
0: Okay, so this week, my kids and I watched this Disney movie called Ron's Gone Wrong. Hmm. And it's, like, a really cute movie on Disney Plus where it's a kid in middle school, and all the kids have this, like, little robot called their best friend that follows them around. I think it's supposed to be, like, a metaphor for your cell phone. And it, like, learns all the things you like and this, that, and the other. But there's this one, like, kid who's kind of poor and doesn't Mm -hmm. have one. And, like, his... Dad ends up getting him one, but it's like a broken one oh. and it doesn't quite work. And it's just a really cool metaphor to what it's like to be in society as kind of a poor kid. But then also it opens up to all these kids who seem like they're really happy with this little robot, but actually like there's something else going on there. Mm. Um so I just think it's a really great movie if like you and your kids like y- your kids are new in middle school and they just got cell phones and like trying to understand like the kids that don't have them and the kids that do and mm-hmm. the kids with huge social media accounts and the kids that don't have social media accounts yeah. just for them to watch and be like, and, or even like an adult to watch and be like, oh, right. Yeah. Like this thing is not my best friend. Yeah. So it's what really it ca- cute. What is Ron's it
1: ca- gone Ron's gone wrong. Ron's gone wrong. <laughs> and even if you're
0: not going to watch the whole movie, just watch the, um. Trailer because it's so cute. He's just so embarrassed by his little robot that doesn't work correctly. Perfect. What are you into?
1: (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to recommend the show Barry, season three. So this is Bill Hader's show. Have you seen it? I have seen Barry. Have you? Are you caught up? Not up to (gasps) season three now. Season three is so good. I am laughing hysterically because it's so outrageous. Um. I haven't finished it yet. I think we have, like, two or three more episodes left. But it is so good. I love NoHo Hank so fucking much. And it's just outrageous and so well done. And I've just been really enjoying Barry Season (laughs) 3. More things to watch. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, Thank you for hanging out with us. And if you want more of us, if you want to... Hang out with the other people who like this show and are interested in women's history. Join us on Patreon. We're the best. Uh, For as little as a dollar a month, you can hang out with us for an extra little bit of time and we'll interact with you and, you know, sometimes you get little gifts in the mail. And Elsie Marshall is now a part of it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Elsie. And we love you. And please, if you could... Join us on all the platforms. We post our cocktails every Tuesday on Tipsy mm. Tuesday. And you can play the quiz and try and see who made which cocktail, which is always a good time. And then
0: you can also follow Miss Krista and see which one her and her yes! husband like better.
1: <laughs> I feel like they haven't been into the cocktails this season. So I am sorry. <laughs> We've been really shitting it up. Yeah. That's so, okay. um, <laughs> uh, and please one more note, uh, go rate and review us on Apple podcasts. You must. It's funny. Cause there's one website that's saying we got another review, but then I'm not seeing it. So I don't know what's happening. But if you guys could up those numbers, that would be great. All right. We love you very much. We'll see you soon. And never forget that well-behaved woman.
0: look amazing in a
1: banana clip. Ugh. They do. I could never. Me neither. And they really make history. <laughs> Goodbye. Good.